The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2021 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. The 2021 Forum Workplace Inclusion Annual Conference is coming on demand this April. Bring home the many workshops and features of the 2021 Annual Conference at a time of your choosing, anytime and anywhere you have access to the internet and a computer. The on-demand package includes access to our workshops, book readings, half-day featured sessions, art and wellness workshops, our Marketplace of Ideas Exhibitor Showcase, half-day higher education industry session, 16 trend talks, and five general sessions. That's the Forum 2021 Annual Conference On Demand, coming soon. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org to subscribe to our email list and get updates as soon as it becomes available. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Radically Rethinking Inclusion, a bold new approach to succeeding together, sponsored by Best Buy. Today's guests are Allison Maitland of Allison Maitland Consulting and Rebecca Steele of Rebecca Steele DNI Breakthroughs, co-authors of Indivisible, Radically Rethinking Inclusion for Sustainable Business Results. I'm Ben Rue, Program Associate here at the Forum. Global disruptions unveil the limits of isolated, feel-good inclusion initiatives that fall short of driving the systemic transformation needed for all to thrive. The indivisible approach offers a more effective way. Linked to business priorities and social impact, it helps an organization harness the collective superpower of a full mix of people by weaving in inclusion into how it operates. This approach addresses behaviors and structures as well as feelings and engages everyone, senior leaders, managers, and individuals in collective collaborative innovation and accountability for impact. As a whole system framework for sustainable results, it considers both the internal and external dynamics, helping organizations demonstrate leadership and impact in addressing broader disruptions and opportunities, including climate change, COVID-19, and the Black Lives Matter movement. Join us to initiate your innovative transformation with a whole new approach to inclusion. In this podcast, you'll discover how to overcome the limits of piecemeal efforts with a whole system approach to inclusion, deepen your understanding through a case example of comprehensive business-linked inclusion strategy, and gain practical insight into immediate steps to initiate your whole system approach to inclusion. Allison Maitland is a business author, coach, speaker, and facilitator, specializing in leadership, inclusion, and the changing world of work. She has co-authored two previous books, Future Work and Why Women Mean Business. A former long-serving journalist with the Financial Times, she is a senior fellow in human capital at the Conference Board and a senior visiting fellow at the Business School, formerly CAS London. 
She is chair of the school's Global Women's Leadership Program Executive Board and was director of the Conference Board's European Council on Diversity and Inclusion in Business for nine years. Rebecca Steele is a business strategist, innovator, and speaker with deep expertise in diversity and inclusion, building on two decades in corporate in the corporate world, including as a senior leader in Fortune 500 companies. Rebecca launched her consultancy focused on the intersection of diversity, inclusion, and human-centered design thinking. She helps leaders in business government and nonprofit organizations bring progressive strategies to life via her signature DNI Innovation Labs and distinctive ecosystem design process. Canada-based and globally engaged, Rebecca speaks widely on the next generation DNI and is also a senior fellow and council director with the conference board. Thank you so much for being here, Allison and Rebecca. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. It's great to be here. Yes, thanks. I, and I thank you so much for sending me a copy of the book. I really enjoyed reading it and I learned so much and like so many different views of inclusion. Um, so, so let's just jump right in. The book, your book sets out an expansive vision of inclusion. Allison, can you start by telling us about that? Yeah, sure, of course, Ben. Well, um, well, we really believe that organisations, you know, need to be and and indeed can be much more ambitious with diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, for us, diversity is, you know, that vast mix of individuals, identities, talents, experiences, perspectives that are out there in the world and in the workforce. And diversity actually gets most of the attention. Inclusion's often neglected. It, it's a bit like that poor relation, but you know you really can't seize the opportunity of diversity without inclusion. So we say that inclusion is harnessing what we call our collective superpower, the collective superpower of diversity. And goodness me, do we need that collective superpower right now? I mean, businesses and society facing hugely disruptive challenges both internally and externally so we've got the climate crisis this covid 19 crisis the challenge of deep-rooted systemic inequities and other challenges like the challenges and, and opportunities presented by artificial intelligence and you know really to find innovative responses to these challenges to, to create uh, a sustainable path to the future, organizations need to call on the ideas, on the perspectives, on the experiences of the broadest possible mix of people. And I'd like to give you three really important reasons why companies must, must focus their attention on inclusion. Uh, performance, preparedness, and purpose. First of all, there's a wealth of research that shows that inclusion drives business performance in many different ways. Just for example, improving collaboration, improving innovation, reducing risk uh, and enhancing customer relationships. Um, and second, then there's that being prepared for the future. So to take an example, in a world of smart machines, if you build inclusion into your design processes, that really ensures that new technology, you know, AI-driven applications, uh, do not unintentionally exclude or discriminate against significant sections of your workforce or your potential workforce, 
or indeed your existing uh, and potential customers. And another example, inclusive skills like, you know, appreciative listening, emotional intelligence, empathy, social influence. These are exactly the higher level interpersonal skills that we need. We all need to thrive alongside machines. Um, and they're the skills that also, you know, hold a dispersed uh, workforce together. We've been really seeing that a lot during the COVID crisis with, uh, with dispersed and virtual working. So these are skills that organizations will need more than ever in the future. Um, and the third reason that we talk about is purpose. So companies are, you know, we know increasingly concerned to demonstrate they have a purpose beyond profit. And a really powerful way to demonstrate purpose is to work to advance inclusion in your organization and across society, uh, perhaps as part of collective action with others. So this is a purpose also which around which we think that people can coalesce, um, will coalesce to create even bigger impact. And these three Ps, performance, preparedness and purpose, show how really valuable inclusion is. Um, and that's the big picture context for why it's so important that organizations get inclusion right. And why we were actually, why Rebecca and I were motivated to write a book that was focused on inclusion. Thank you so much for that. You're absolutely right. So many people focus just on diversity, just think, oh, I've got, we've got people of color, we've got women, we've got LGBTQ people, we're fine. Let's just go. We're, we're, we're all set. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's so much more to that, um, to it than this, that. Um, you say many organizations are still taking a piecemeal approach to DEI. Rebecca, where are you, where do you think they're going wrong? Yeah, well, certainly we have seen DEI progress that has been made over the years, but we still need to do a lot better. You know, the incredibly slow pace of change, the, the backsliding we see when change does not stick, and, you know, evidence that many DEI outcomes are just not yet good enough are kind of signals that we have to take different approaches to get much better results. And I can highlight four dynamics that are preventing organizations from advancing on DEI results that really matter. Um, the first, to your point, is this reliance on piecemeal approaches. And by this, um, we mean initiatives that sort of pop up on their own without being strategically linked. And this can show up as, you know, maybe disconnected activities such as an isolated event to celebrate diversity or maybe a bit of inclusive leadership behavior training and that sort of siloed activity. But as we describe in the book, to achieve widespread and lasting outcomes, organizations need a far more ambitious, holistic strategy to create an organization where everyone can thrive. Um, a second common problem is replicating so-called best practices uh, that are not actually effective. And I think a good example of this is unconscious bias awareness training. Um, evidence shows that this is not actually effective in mitigating the negative impacts of bias. So, you know, when we see so much wasted effort on practices that do not achieve intended outcomes, we know we need to take a different approach for successful results to come about. Um, a third failure mode is when diversity and inclusion are not linked to business outcomes, such as you know, product innovation or supplier cost savings or profitable growth. Um, and if, if we don't integrate DEI into business strategies, we set it up as optional. 
And then the fourth issue is also when you highlighted, Ben, you know, that organizations working on DEI often focus primarily on the diversity part and they're largely leaving inclusion out. So it's typical to take a really light approach to inclusion that might focus mostly on, you know, maybe leadership behavior intended to make people feel like they belong. But inclusion is more than feelings of belonging and uh, it takes more than just leadership behaviors to bring it about. And it really has to be addressed holistically. And, you know, we're seeing the stakes rising for organizations to overcome these kinds of limits and others that, that I haven't mentioned. Um, they need to get this right, particularly as so many more organizations have made DEI pledges, you know, amid the, the kind of critical calls for a reckoning with racial inequities and social inequities, not only in organizations, but across society. Um, so ineffective and piecemeal practices where inclusion is glossed over and disconnected from the heart of the business, you know, these prevent organizations from fulfilling those pledges. And organizations that get inclusion right, on the other hand, are going to be better prepared for big risks and challenges and opportunities. And they'll be positioned to really achieve the benefits of inclusion that, that Allison just talked about. So in Indivisible, we show how it is so much more effective to employ a holistic and a business-linked strategy that involves every function in an organization, you know, from purchasing to marketing to human resources, um, every policy, every process and every business decision and every person in every relationship, both internal and external. Thank you for that. And it is really important to actually do the, the entire business strategy into it because that, you know, that really um, gets like people at upper level man like management is like or higher level to really see the benefit of DEI. But one of the words you mentioned is um, you just mentioned belonging. And one of your arguments is with the term belonging. You say it would be a mistake to be mesmerized by the buzzword belonging. Allison, what do you mean by this? Well, what we mean is that uh, belonging can sometimes be in direct conflict with inclusion. Um, for example, we know that that people can feel their greatest sense of belonging uh, when they're with others who believe and act, you know, the same way as they do. And that can mean, you know, missing out on different perspectives. Uh, we, we, we're very familiar with the dangers of, of groupthink, the risks of groupthink. Um, but at worst, it can also mean intolerance and antagonism towards outsiders. Um, and the word belonging can also, uh, in some contexts, have connotations of, of ownership or bondage, which are uh, really problematic in the context of, of slavery, both historic and modern. Um, another reason we, uh, you know, we question the, or we have some concerns about uh, belonging as just being another way of, you know, of, of describing inclusion or just being the buzzword, is that it's it's another outcome it's uh it's an outcome rather than an input and it doesn't in ex in itself actually explain what needs to be in place for inclusion to thrive in organizations so what actually does need to be in place for inclusion to thrive in organizations and we uh we did research into uh you know into um, inclusion in many different contexts and as we were looking for 
more effective ways to understand and measure and take action on inclusion, we came up with uh, 10 core components, what we call the 10 enablers of inclusion. Um, we clustered them in into three different groups. One is about creating connection, and that's things like openness and, and respect. Um, the second is about creating opportunity. That's things like fairness, um, transparency in your organization. Um, and the third is uh, about creating common cause. So this is really about things like uh, shared power. How is power distributed in your organization? Is power uh, exercised over people or is it exercised with people? Um, participation and uh, shared purpose. These are all important parts of, of creating common cause. Um, maybe it, it's helpful to have an example of what this looks like in practice because um, someone, uh, a leader who's in, really embodied some of these core enablers of inclusion is, is the New Zealand uh, Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. Um, you know, through the way that she and her government have uh, successfully handled the COVID crisis in New Zealand. Um, she demonstrated um, openness um, and transparency with uh, with the people with the people of New Zealand, with her, her country people, um, by really talking very openly about you know just what sacrifices needed to be made right from the start and how tough this lockdown would be. Um, there was fairness there that uh, she and her ministers took uh, a salary cut in order to show solidarity with people who had lost their livelihoods. Um, and then there was shared power, which in, in this case was really about, um, you know, making it clear to everyone in New Zealand that they were accountable for the outcome. They were accountable for, for, for fighting this, uh, this disease together um, and that, um, yeah, that each of them was responsible. She said, be strong and be kind. And she also demonstrated a shared purpose, which was very, very clear. It's about saving lives. Very, very clear. And that led to huge, you know, a real, really high levels of trust in, in, the, in the government. That is such a wonderful example. And every day I wish I lived in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, she is just such a wonderful leader and that, again, like I said, uh, such a great example. Thank you. Um, and you set out a radically different approach to inclusion in the book. Allison, let's start with you. Can you tell us about that and how organizations can get started? Yes, of course. So, so the 10 enablers that I just mentioned, um, they're one part of, of it, uh, and there's a whole lot more. Um, our approach, which we call inclusion impact, clearly links inclusion with business relevant results, which is what Rebecca was talking about just now. It also integrates inclusion consistently into every aspect of the organization. And um, a quick framework to explain this really is to ask the following questions about inclusion, the who, the what, the where and the why. So organizations typically you know, try to measure and address inclusion through limited responses to these questions. So take the who, that's typically limited to individual employees, you know, with a few inclusion questions that are thrown into the annual employee engagement survey. Um, the what is is limited to feelings, 
feelings of inclusion, feelings of being valued or respected or whatever. Um, the where is limited to the uh, to the internal workforce and the why. Well, the why is actually often unmeasured. It's often unclear and often disconnected from from real business results, business goals and results, actually. Um, and this limited understanding and measurement leads, of course, to limited action, limited results and limited impact which is why we see you know frustration from many leaders um, uh, when they you know when they're talking about the lack of progress with D, D, DEI so with our impact approach um, we're looking at those those w's again and say the who extends to everyone it's not just individuals it's teams it's managers it's senior leaders and it's the dynamics between all of those groups of people and those individuals in the organization it covers people who are uh, systemically marginalized and it covers people who are in the mainstream population it takes account also of the whole of people's identities instead of putting them into a single identity box the what covers not just feelings but also actions and organizational structures and how consistently those are aligned across the organization so when we say organizational structures we mean the processes the systems the signals the written and unwritten rules in the organization that can either support or undermine inclusion and the what also takes account of those 10 core components or enablers that i described just now the where covers not only what's going on inside the organization but also relationships with external partners like contract workers like customers investors and with wider society and communities and it asks how are you making these partners these external partners part of your inclusion strategy um, the why asks and then shows how your inclusion strategy can help you to achieve your business goals and to deliver positive impact for individuals, for your business, and indeed for society. And then to these four W's, we've added a fifth, which is when, because the when is important because inclusion is dynamic. It's, it's not a static thing and it's very much dependent on context and on experience. So this um, checking in on inclusion has to be done intentionally and it has to be done not you know once a year or, or once a week but actually in every interaction um and what would you add rebecca uh, thanks allison you know i think sometimes when we start to uh, explain or describe this expanded view of inclusion that we see people's eyes get a little wide um, and they say, you know, this is a really ambitious approach and it is, but we do also make it realistic and feasible, um, you know, in our work with organizations and and also in how we describe it in the book, we, we have a model for achieving the kind of whole system change that um, allows us to achieve this ambition with inclusion. And it really starts with orienting to a whole new vision for inclusion and then engaging a step-by-step -step process to understand those gaps between the organization's current state and what that future vision is. And then on this base, an organization can start to design the holistic strategy that it needs to achieve the meaningful impact that we envision. 
Um, you know, and as we guide that broader process, we also offer more than 50 practical actions in the book. These are actions that every single individual at every level can take right away to enhance inclusion today. So long-term strategy with structural change is critical, and so is that immediate individual action. And I can give an example of how these individual actions work alongside the big organizational changes over time. Um, so let's, let's suppose that a key business priority at your organization is to become more consistently innovative. And after some assessment, you learn that not everyone actually is being included or, or enabled to share their distinctive ideas in ways that can actually boost innovation. And so to make it safe and easy and comfortable for all to speak up, you realize you need to design a whole system strategy to overcome the gaps and enact widespread changes to individual capabilities, to how you hold leaders accountable for how they cultivate inclusion, um, to processes and structures, to what you measure and so on. And as you work on this broader holistic strategy aimed at building a whole environment where all voices are heard and, and all can boost innovation, you can also ensure that people at all levels start taking action today to foster those opportunities for all ideas to be welcomed and heard. And, um, you know, for example, senior leaders can create signals that encourage everyone to speak freely. They can, you know, ask at every single strategy meeting who will share a different idea to help us be more discerning, to help us be more creative. So that's a simple practical way to get started with that signal for senior leaders. And then middle managers, who of course can be a really powerful force for inclusion at the heart of the organization. Middle managers can do something related um, to that with their teams. Uh, they can ask, you know, what can I do to make it easy for each of you to freely share your distinctive ideas and, and dissenting opinions? And of course, all individuals at any level can start asking questions and leaning into active listening and creating a, a non-judgmental space for sharing and exploring new perspectives from all the others that they're working with. And, you know, a bold approach to inclusion is realistic. When you use the step-by-step -step model um, to combine those big picture changes with specific practical actions every person can take, to play their role in making inclusion happen. Well, the expansion of inclusion in the book I thought was just so great. And one of the, and like you mentioned, there's like, you make it clear on and realistic or and approachable. And one of the ways, one of the best descriptions of inclusion were my favorite from the book was um, inclusion is not a one-way street. <clears throat> Although many companies treat it that way, actually inclusion is like a well-functioning traffic roundabout or intersection where people pay attention to everyone everyone else and takes turns to yield to every to each other and move forward and where everyone's thoughtful actions have an impact on the success of the whole like that really stuck with me and i thought that was just such a perfect way to explain it to people who are having trouble you know understanding this holistic view of inclusion absolutely yeah <laughs> oh, oh sorry i just wanted to say that you know that's exactly right and you know it's not only individuals deciding to use that roundabout in an effective way, but there are structural things and how the road is set up and what barrier might be in the middle and all the signs that are signaling what you're supposed to do and so forth that uh, create that structure in addition to the actions of individuals to make that roundabout really function. And the same is true with inclusion. 
Absolutely. And imagine what would happen if we relied on the on the safe functioning of that traffic intersection purely on how the drivers were feeling today. Exactly. Uh, or purely on the driver behavior, because if they were all feeling very angry, they might not be behaving in, in a really great way. If you don't the have US those... that never work. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you don't have the, the signals and the, and the structures and the signposts that are all there underpinning the whole, underpinning the, uh, the behavior that you need, the behavior that you want to see, um, then yeah, it's 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 not going to happen. It's not enough. It it it's not sustainable. It'd be chaos. It'd be pileups all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, Rebecca, this I want to follow up with you and continue with you. Um, you, uh, how to measure inclusion effectively is a theme that runs through the whole book. What is your advice for that? Yeah, so one of the things that we do share in the book is a new and expanded um, set of inclusion metrics and also some examples of new scorecards um, for inclusion. And underlying all of these is a core message that organizations have to treat measuring inclusion as they would measurement for any other business driver. You know, and we like to give an example to compare inclusion metrics to marketing metrics, for example. You know, marketing departments do not simply count different consumers without understanding the reasons for their different purchasing patterns or or how to change those patterns to help the company succeed. And they gain insights not only from numbers, but also from things that are hard to quantify, you know, things like brand reputation, for example. And they address the messiness of human behavior around marketing um, and the analysis of marketing is actually remarkably complex. But companies don't say, well, you know, markets are just too complex to measure, so we're not gonna bother with that. You know, they actually dig into the complexity, they hire experts and they invest in technology and they do the things they need to do to gain the best insights they can so that they're able to make smart decisions about growing market share, for example. And, you know, just like marketing, inclusion is also a business driver. And because of this, measuring it has to receive the same rigor, the same attention, the same kinds of resources. You know, but really frustratingly, in our work with companies, we find that so many are currently measuring inclusion very narrowly. You know, given the pressures of, of business today and, and the misperceptions around what inclusion really is, it's not surprising that a lot kind of look for easy one-off kinds of solutions. You know, we see a lot of sort of a simple set of five or so employee engagement survey questions on how individuals feel about inclusion. And, you know, I think this is understandable, but at the same time, it's really not good enough. And the reality is that most companies are lacking the insight they need to make solid business decisions about inclusion and about its impacts on business success. And, you know, more specifically, I think right now, many leaders really struggle to answer key questions like, you know, what progress are we actually making on all 10 enablers of inclusion and on feelings and actions and structures to advance inclusion and what inclusion efforts are actually leading to best results? What are those results? What, what efforts are giving us the best return on investment? What should we stop doing? Um, you know, how widespread and sustainable are the results that we're seeing? How is inclusion supporting our relationships with external partners? How is it uh, helping us achieve our business purpose and goals and so on? 
So important decisions are really being made in the dark. And of course that elevates waste and risk. Um, so we have to kind of embrace the, the fact that inclusion is a big concept, you know, like sustainability. Because of this, organizations need metrics and scorecards that do address feelings, such as whether employees feel they can be their true self at work, uh, but they also need to address actions and behaviors, such as, you know, are employees consistently making space for others to speak up? Um, and organizations need to measure structures around things like systemic changes that improve fairness and transparency in processes that impact workers' opportunities and experiences and, and rewards and so forth. And it's important to demonstrate the impact of these three. You know, the impact of inclusive feelings and actions and structures. And these then become leading indicators of performance, of uh, innovation, of bottom line achievements. So in our book, we do provide samples of what these more meaningful scorecards look like. But what's important here is that when we expect more from our inclusion metrics, we can achieve insights that really do help us discern what gaps we need to address and what efforts are most effective, what practices might not be working, and what impact, what impact inclusion has on individual and team and business success. And again, we must treat inclusion like any other business driver. Better information allows organizations to concentrate on how they're making progress and achieving results. That's so true and such a great point. Um, in, in the book, you say it's not enough for organizations to focus on efforts on, on only on marginalized group. And Allison, you somewhat touched on that um, in your first answer. Could you tell us why not? Yes, of course. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I want to be very clear, or we are very clear, that we're not uh, ignoring the fact that, that people who are systemically marginalized face, you know, really serious and pervasive barriers and disadvantages, both both at work and in society. And, and this is something that has to be recognized and addressed. Uh, but too often, organizations respond to this reality with an approach that first of all, silos people. Um, it, it ignores their multi-dimensional identities that we all have, and it ignores uh, intersectionality. Um, and uh, secondly, it places often the responsibility for change on, on those people who are marginalized rather than on the mainstream. So by contrast, what we're doing is, is we're challenging organizations to see inclusion as, as relevant to everyone in all of our you know, individual complexity and as being the responsibility of everyone. This means that we, we need to engage everyone to make the workplace better for all. So everyone is responsible, everyone must benefit and no one must be harmed. And one of the ways that we encourage organizations to get started with this new approach is, is to start engaging with the complexity of identity. So this can be done in part by asking different questions. Now it, in our book, Indivisible, we include a demographic question that, that sets aside the usual catalog of identity groups and it focuses instead on how individuals have experienced exclusion for themselves. So it reads like this, 
I would like the organisation to address barriers to my inclusion that are related to, and then they can select from, uh, from a long list, which includes things like gender, age, education, ethnicity, culture, primary language, you know, whether they're introvert, extrovert, where they are on that spectrum and more. And, you know, this, this is recognising that none of us can be divided into sort of single discrete parts. So individuals are asked to select all of those things that apply to them. And instead of identifying, you know, different categories of, of gender, say, or age, for example, we're, we're simply asking if they see gender or age as a barrier for them, regardless of, of what that is exactly. And this question therefore helps to break down those identity silos. And it acknowledges also that, that each of us, all of us can experience exclusion. And um, it'd be really interesting actually to know, you know what, what's your reaction? What's your take on that, Ben? I mean, I think that is a great approach, and it it reminds me of, uh, you know, as a you know African or black male in America, um, when the con like when the conversation is about these issues, it is off it is often like excludes the majority, which is you know which more often you know white population, and it does focus on well, it it puts the yeah as you said it puts the responsibility on, and the onus on the uh, the minority population the the disenfranchised population to solve the problem and just excludes the um excludes the majority um it's uh, gosh it reminds me of this uh, quote that i recently saw which i not uh not remembering it word for word right now unfortunately but it you know it in the in regards to the issue of white supremacy that we're having currently in the states where it's like um basically rephrasing it where it's like white or white supremacy isn't being solved because it's something that's seen for you know a problem for minorities to deal with as opposed to something that the white population needs to deal with if that yeah. makes sense um so the onus is, or it's just like, so the onus is just like, oh, well, we have, no, we, there's nothing we can do to stop this um, because because the majority is not being included in these conversations or, you know, or when, when these discussions are being had and these decisions are being made in the workplace, they're not thinking of the majority. They're only thinking of the, of the minor, uh, minority. And like you said, it does silo people. Um, another thing mm -hmm. that came to mind is at the forum, we are, currently um, in, a, in a staff transitional period of staffing. So at the moment, it appears that we are all, you know, ma like cis male identifying um, a staff. Um, but if you ask the like, if you layer it, you see that we have, uh, we have different religions, different um, sexual orientations, different, you know, um, different backgrounds, uh, like so, so many, um, so much diversity in the group still like that you wouldn't get if you just said, said oh well you're all males like you know yes. you're all the majority <laughs> indeed i think those are really good applications of this concept and it reminds me that one organization allison and i worked with last year had a breakthrough with this approach um, because they're it's not a, a us-based organization and they're in a country where um it's not legal to ask people their specific 
gender or sex, for example. It, it was um, ethnicity, I think. Oh. It was actually or ethnicity. About the, yeah, oh, you're right. Yeah, I think that country, yeah. right, most countries can mm. actually ask about gender. You're right. Right. So ethnicity, for example, and maybe some of the other um, as well. And this came as a real breakthrough to that organization because they could ask questions that would help them know where they needed to dig deeper to understand who was facing what kinds of barriers for inclusion. So, you know, you've given some really good US-based examples, Ben, and there also are, you know, different applications that help solve some long-standing challenges with this work in other parts of the world as well. Absolutely. And it was interesting for us, wasn't it, to, to discover that, uh, you know, that, that the approach we were taking could could help in this way in, in, in a country or a culture where where it was very, very difficult to to you know, measure certain certain sort of typical ca characteristics of identity uh, by giving people the choice effectively to say, you know, what it is for them, how, how they experience it, rather than putting them into boxes, pre-prepared boxes. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that it, when you give people the, the chance to ex express themselves, then they really get to think about how they fit into the inclusion puzzle, um, yes. if that. Yes, yes, we, we really do need to run that home that we're all responsible for this. It's it's something that we all have to uh, take uh, that we all have to be accountable for. And that if we whether we take action or we don't act, we have an impact. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah and I, I think one like one last example, like that came to mind is like, you know, if you tell people, oh, you're a, you're a cisgender white male, you don't have any issue like any issues or you like you are like you, you know you it like they don't feel like they can be part of the conversation and then and so they then turn off to a conversation and like turn off to like the possibility like like you mentioned though they could be an introverted person or they could like have um other things that make them diverse that would make them that would make them want to be included in the conversation absolutely yeah. <sighs> This has been such a great conversation and I <laughs> hate to do this, but we are getting to our final question. Um, again, I, before I ask the final question, I just want to thank you both again um, for this wonderful conversation and wonderful podcast. Um, and again, for the book, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading. Um, and I recommend all our listeners do um, go, go out and get a copy themselves. Um, and Rebecca and Allison, I'm sure we'll tell you how to do that. <laughs> um, sure. Finally, but what? finally, I want to ask, what lessons should we draw from um, draw for inclusion from the tumultuous events of the past year in the US, which I've mentioned, and across the world? Um, Rebecca, let's let's start with you. What's what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's a, a good question. And certainly we couldn't have foreseen all the complexities and um, difficult events that were going to come up in 2020 when we wrote the book. Um, but it's still very relevant. Um, and I think, you know, the case for strong and compassionate, inclusive leadership has maybe never been more evident than in 2020. And uh, the lessons really continue to drive change this year, and I'm sure they will into the future. Uh, you know, amid the pandemic, we have seen dramatic impacts to the workforce. You know, this includes things like the risks that face essential frontline workers 
who are often from the most marginalized, systemically marginalized populations among workers. It also includes, of course, a much more distributed workforce, as we talked about earlier, uh, for those who are not on the front line, particularly. Um, and it includes the strains that families are facing while they try to manage work and, and childcare demands and so on. And so as organizations respond to these dynamics, those inclusive skills and leaders and all individuals actually are critical. Workers, whether they're internal um, or those employed on a contract basis, they have to be shown in, in real terms that they are valued, that they are recognized as distinctive, and that they are supported to really thrive with ways that make sense to their own context and their own reality. And I think uh, 2020 has also brought us a heightened social reckoning with the very real costs of the status quo. You know, resurgence of movements like Black Lives Matter, uh, Me Too and Time's Up and so forth, um, as well as the disparate impacts of COVID-19. They've really exposed how ongoing, long lasting patterns of exclusion and inequities and injustice have horrific impacts. So in light of this, we see a widening array of stakeholders speaking out and holding companies and their leaders accountable. Uh, we see investors and customers and boards and you know, current and future activists, employees and others, they're, they're all demanding not just action, but meaningful systemic change with lasting impact. And, and that impact is uh, oriented not only to business and organizations, but to society as well. And I think, you know, many, many more organizations and leaders really recognize that they must do better, that they must create organizations where a full range of people can fully contribute and thrive. And, and many more leaders are seeing that they have to play a role in advancing inclusion, not only within their organizations, but also in broader society. And, you know, this is a moral and a practical imperative. So we need to get inclusion right. Um, Alison, what would you add? Oh yes, well, I I do have I do have things, just a few things to add to that, and um, and just before we we get to the to the very end, um, as as Ben asked us about where uh, listeners can can get hold of a copy of the book, um, you can get Indivisible uh, on Amazon and from all uh, good booksellers, um, and we also have uh, a website. Um, where you can find out more about the book and about us and all sorts of things uh, related to the book. Um, and it's indivisible with a hyphen, so indivisible-book.com. And I'd like to, I'd like to add to what you just, what you just said, uh, Rebecca, that, um, I mean, actually it's, it's a wonderful quote from Paul Polman, who uh, was the uh, the head of Unilever, the, the the consumer the consumer goods group, and he's now chair of something called Imagine, which is um, a social venture accelerating business leadership on sustainable development goals. And he and he says, you know, businesses cannot survive in societies that fail. So we mentioned i mentioned collective action for by companies by organizations at the very start of, of this podcast and we we see this happening already to tackle the climate crisis and rebecca and i in in the book call for collective action by companies to tackle exclusion across society 
we really highlight how inclusion and sustainability are interdependent. So, you know, just like the, the B Corps companies that meet these rigorous standards for environmental sustainability, we envisage uh, what we call an in-core of organisations taking this whole system approach to inclusion and using their, their combined power to create a more impactful movement for change inside their companies and across society. This is really the direction that we expect pioneering leaders and pioneering organisations to take uh, in the coming decade, and it will be vital to do so. Thank you both so much for that truly transformative conversation. A special thank you to all our listeners and our sponsor, Best Buy. If you'd like to learn more, you can contact either Allison or Rebecca at their websites, allisonmaitland.com and rebeccasteel.com, and their book, Indivisible, can be found at indivisible-book.com. You can find more forum podcasts on our website, forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast, and also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.